Philippians chapter 2. Because I want to share with you a study that I would probably call a Christian call to unity through humility. And so the last time we were in Philippians, we talked about the fact that there was this call to unity in, in part, you know, for the sake of the gospel. And so if you would, look at chapter 1, look at verse 27. Philippians 1, 27, it says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you, Paul says, and, and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, fastened in one affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so you guys know why, you know, church happens, right? You guys kind of know like, hey, man, we gather together so that people will go to heaven and not to hell. That, that's huge, right? And so you go to church, you know, part of it is, you know, you're there and you want to stay on track, you know, so that when you die, and none of us know when that day is, the rapture, you go to heaven and not hell. It's huge. It's huge. That's why you have to make sure that you're not just coming to church and living in sin. Because your, your life is your assurance. It's the fruit of your salvation. And so I don't know if you guys realize this, but this is so important. And then there's secondary purposes, of course, you know, that God will bless you, that God will bless your family, that, you know, you would just fulfill your purpose in life. But here, what Paul is saying is that you have to stay together. You have to stay united. Don't be divided. Don't be torn up. Because when you are divided, then you're weakened. And it, it ruins like the work of the gospel. So we're united as a church because we want people to be saved. We have eyes to evangelize. But if there's divisions among us, and we're okay with that, then it hinders the gospel. And, and so this unity is huge. It's definitely not easy. It's not, right? It's exhausting at times. And division in the church, it not only breaks the heart of God, it weakens the work of the gospel. Division in the church, it hurts our father, right? Because this is a family. It hurts our father and it hinders the faith. And so we have to make sure we're united. We need to realize this. And I don't know if we've captured this, but here, catch this, catch this, that unity is huge, that unity, hearts knit together is so important. It, it's what Jesus prayed for. We talked about that in John chapter 17, that we, the church, may be one as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were one, one in purpose, one in passion for souls. And so you know, it says in John 17, 20 through 21, that the world may believe that God the Father sent God the Son. So in case you're wondering and you're like, well, that's not a big deal. You know, this divisions, this is the way it is. And, you know, even though I got something against that gal over there and she's kind of weird, she sees things different. She says things different. She rubs me the wrong way. And so I'm just going to stay away. And there's a space is division and it weakens the church. 
And what God is saying is we have to make sure that, you know, the Philippian church, they were a good church. They were a supportive church. But this was one of the issues that they struggled with. Now, I do need to say this, that according to Romans 12, 18, and I just know that verse, that's a huge verse for me, it's not always possible to be united with certain individuals, right? Sometimes some individuals are just unreasonable. I understand that. That's life. But what we have to do is make sure that we've done everything we can, and maybe it's time to make another effort. Maybe that's what this study is about, We've done everything we can to try to bring reconciliation because when there's reconciliation, you take that step of faith, it's pleasant and it's powerful. It's powerful. I like that Psalm, Psalm 133. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. And so he says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then he uses Aaron as an illustration. If you guys can see this, Aaron is the high priest, and they anoint him with so much oil, so much oil that the oil just starts flowing down all over Aaron, the high priest, all over his beard, down through his clothes, down the edges of his garments. That's how anointed, the church will be that is united. Imagine that. And then if you go on to read there in Psalm 133, he talks about the dew that comes down upon upon Mount Hermon. And basically the dew, what it is is the blessings, the blessings that God will bring. And so husbands need to be one with their wives. And you've got parents and you've got kids and you've got siblings and you've got a church, and it's so important, you know, because when we're united, then there's strength, and there's power. I've told you guys this uh, story many times, it's illustration. Um, it's like a bundle of sticks, okay? So um, we're, this is us, this is who we are. This represents us as a church, and you're like, it doesn't look pretty. Yeah, yeah, I know, but that's just us, right? And so the devil, the devil is trying to, to break us. He's trying to make us weak, right? And so, you know, you, you look at the bundle of sticks and you're like, man, you know, me, I've been working out. I still can't break it like this, right? But well, what does the devil try to do? What does the flesh, the world have an inclination for? What they do is they try to cut the, the ties, the gospel, the grace that binds us. And then once they untie the unity, then just one by one, they break the sticks, and, and what we find is that that's what we see happening. And that's why, you know, you're looking at the sticks and it's not pretty and it's all crooked and that's who we are, right? But even with crooked sticks, you can draw straight lines. And then what you do with these sticks right here is you bundle them back together and then they're strong. And so we're living in the last of the last days. We are living in days where they're calling boys girls and girls boys, where they are, you know, just the whole sexual, I won't call it a revolution, I'll call it a devolution. It is crazy what's going on, you know. Go to Idaho, pot is not legal in Idaho, but it is here. 
I remember when I was doing drugs and I was not a Christian, I was getting high, how insane to think that they would not only advocate it, not just tolerate, but they advocate it, they celebrate it. And now there's legislation in California government, which is going to pass, because we know that the, the government we have, psychedelic drugs are going to be legal in the state of California. And so how can we stop this onslaught? How can we make a difference? You know, I'm older, I'm probably going to be okay. What kind of world are we going to leave to our children if God tarries? And, and, and the only thing we can do, man, is, is for the church to be strong, the church to be salt, the church to be light, the church to be united, not divided. And this is why Paul writes this. I have eyes to evangelize. Paul wanted souls to be saved. He wanted people to go to heaven, not hell. He wanted the power of the Holy Spirit, that anointing that is just so overwhelming. And this is why he's writing to the church and he's saying, hey, you guys, we have to be united by by being humble. And so look what he says in chapter 2 in verse 1. It says, therefore... If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, in one sense, this is kind of weird. There's four ifs in verse one, and then there's three lets. Let this mind be in you. Let this, you know, and let nothing be done. We're going to see the, the three lets So in one sense, we're going to see it's a position we have in Christ. And then in another sense, we're going to see the permission that we have in Christ. And so first of all, the the ifs, the four ifs. If, in verse 1, there is any consolation in Christ. If, any comfort of love. If, any fellowship of the Spirit. If, any affection and mercy. And basically what he's saying there is if you're a Christian. That's all he's saying. If you're a Christian, then you have experienced this encouragement, this consoling, this consolation in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have experienced the comfort of his love. If you're a Christian, you've experienced the fellowship of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've had the affection, uh, the, 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 the tenderness, and the, and the mercy of God. Basically, Paul is just saying to them, hey, consider the glorious grace that you have received as Christians. You know, the the word consolation means that Jesus has come, the Holy Spirit has come, and he's come close to us. He's come close to you. That's what Jesus has done. He didn't just leave you lying there. He didn't just leave you in your sins, man. He came to you. He came close to you. And that word right there, paraklesis, it means to strengthen you. That's what the Lord has done when you got saved. And the word comfort is an interesting word. It it means that not only does he come close to you, but in the Greek language, it means he comes close to speak to you, like to speak in your ear, so to speak. That's what God has done. 
You know, the truth is what Paul is saying, if you're in a real relationship with God, then you have experienced all these things. And so he's going to challenge us in just a second that if we've been united with Christ like this, then we should do our utmost to be united with all the others because he loves all the others. If we've experienced this grace in our relationship with God, encouragement, comfort, unconditional love, think about that one, right? If we've experienced that, then, you know, sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, tenderness of heart, compassion, then we should, basically what he's saying is we should pay it forward. So have you guys ever gone to uh, the drive through and uh, I remember one time I was at Starbucks and, uh, you know, you place your order at the speaker, you go up to the window, you're ready to pay. And I, have you guys ever had it happen to you where they said, hey, the person in front of you just paid for you? Have you guys ever ha- had that happen? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought everybody has had that happen. Anyways, it happened to me. And uh, so you're like, whoa, they paid for me. Whoa, it's kind of cool. So right away, the, just the response, don't you think the natural response is, well, I should pay it forward, you know, pay it to the person, the next person, right? And so, you know, there I was, it had been paid for me. And then now I'm thinking, okay, should I pay for the person, the next person? And I was thinking, but what did they order? Like how much, <laughs> it, it kind of depends. You're looking at the car, like, is it a van or something? You know? And so, you know, but that's what you do. I mean, this is what you do. Like, it was given, this gift was given to you, and you got to kind of give it out. That's to the next one. That's what Paul is saying. If you're saved, if you've received this encouragement by someone coming to you and speaking to you, showing you unconditional love, showing you compassion, showing you mercy then Paul is saying you should do that with others. He says there in verse 2, notice what he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul here is trying hard, and so he gets personal with those words there, fulfill my joy, you know? Fulfill my joy by being reconciled with that one that you are uh, divided with. And in, in one sense, I mean, here he is. I mean, it would just flood his heart with joy. Their pastor, their whatever church planter, the apostle, uh, their friend. He said, man, that would make me just, it would, it would complete my joy if you guys were able to work things out. Now, that's a significant statement because of the fact that Philippians is all about joy. You know, Paul was already joyful. It, as a matter of fact, some will see this as a letter of joy from jail. It's almost as if he's saying, but the only thing missing is this, is this. And I would say, man, that in all of our lives, there's probably people that you need to be reconciled with, or if not, because the Lord knows, uh, maybe not everybody, but you see it's so significant that you might be like, okay, then I'm going to help them because I know they might need help because this unity thing is so important. Now, when you look at this unity, you find it's fueled by love and like-minded mentality. You know, look what he says in chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we'll look at that next time, Lord willing, about the example of humility. 
But he talks about let this mind be in you. If you go to chapter 4, look what it says in verse 2. Paul says, I implore Euodia and I implore Sintichi. Now, now what's the word implore? It's beg. I beg of you. And he names these two ladies. I beg of you to be of one mind, the same mind in the Lord. And so, you know, when it comes to like trying to work things out, you know, there has to be that, that, that mentality. So it's unity through humility with this mentality, this mentality that it's not about me. It is about Jesus and it is about the gospel of Christ that brings soul, souls out of the flames and into God's hands. Fulfill my joy. We have to have that mentality. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now, I think it's important for us to understand this, that Paul isn't necessarily arguing for harmony and unity at any cost or at the expense of truth. If, if someone is living in blatant, unrepentant sin, they need to be called to the carpet. If they have no interest in making things right before God, you know, then, you know, we don't just say, ah, it's okay, you can stay. No, you know, sometimes, like I said, it's unreasonable. You're not supposed to unite. You can't unite. We have churches or so-called churches today that are ordaining, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus pastors and they're proving the, uh, the people that come into their congregation are not calling it what it is, which is sin. And there's, uh, of course, all sins. There's many, many sins. That's not the only sin, but what I'm saying is that when you have a church not willing to call sin, sin, then basically what that does is that doesn't give them the opportunity to be safe. So we don't unite with that. You know, but what we find is that we need to be united in Christ. And when we are, we're going to be stronger. Um, imagine, you know, here we are, it's 2,000 years or so since the church was established by Jesus. But how many of you here, would, would you be interested in having a church like the New Testament church? Wouldn't that be awesome? Do you think that if we became a church like the New Testament church, would that make an impact on the world that we live in? Would it? Would it bring hope to your children? Because we're leaving them this world. Acts 17.6, oh, these are the ones who turn the world upside down. This is what we need and nothing less. Listen, we can't just go on, you know, continue on our merry way and expect different results by doing the same thing. No, something has to be done different. And if there's divisions, then God is saying, hey, this is what we got to do. The New Testament church, one of the things you'll read about over and over again is they were in one accord. They were in one accord. And that's not a Honda, in case you're wondering, right? No, um, over and over again, they were in one accord. Acts one fourteen. it says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so, you know, the church was birthed when they were in one accord and they were praying. The, the church was baptized 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I mean, wouldn't it be cool right now? And I would even pray, Lord, let your Holy Spirit fall right here, right now on, this, on these people. You know, that's what happened when they're in one accord, one place. The church was birthed. Ministries will be birthed. People will be baptized by the power and person of the Holy Spirit. By the, the fact that they were in one accord, this is in Acts 2.46, that they were built. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And so daily, one accord, they're being birthed, baptized, built, and then they were bold. It says in Acts 4.24, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. There's the word again, and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Listen, the God who made you, the creator of the universe, he loves you. He made everything, and he is able to heal your broken heart. He's able to save my sinful soul. He's able to take me from a place that I deserve to go, which is hell, all the way to heaven. That's what God does. And so we need, you know, we need to be one accord as a church so that ministries can be birthed, that people that can be baptized, that we can be built up and stronger as Christians and that we can be bold. And we just tell people, hey, you know, Jesus loves you. Hey, next week, Ryan Reese will be here. Invite your neighbor. I'm going to invite my neighbor. I, 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 to my shame, I haven't. So this is it. Hey, come. I love you. I want you to be saved. You know, sometimes we don't get bold enough and God says, no, as a church, you have to be of one accord. The, the Greek word is an interesting word. It's the, the, it's the, the word homothymodon. And so homo means the same and thymos means passion. And so when we have that, that same passion, then we're, we're united together and God does a work. You know, so let's remind ourselves. I want to remind you and I want to remind me that this is what it's all about. I pray that God will bless your life. I pray that he would bless your life in a personal relationship with him. But God wants to use our souls. God wants to use our lives so that people would be saved. And it won't happen unless we're in one accord. Now, I'm going to play the guitar for you guys right now. So don't make fun of me. You guys are my friends, right? All right. So I'm not going to jam like a heavy metal thing or anything like that. But um, this is my daughter's guitar. And so I figure if I break it, I think she'll forgive me. But um, I want to give you guys an illustration. Something that I've shared with you many times, but I think this might help in, in one sense. So this is a, can you guys hear that? This is an E. I think this is an A minor. Are they different? How about this? Is this different? They're different, huh? I don't want to play a song, but anyways. One of the things that I want to make sure I communicate to you is I'm not asking you to be like everyone else. God is not asking you, say, that's called uniformity, right? I'm not asking you to be like, you got to be who God made you to be with the character of Christ. Your individuals are supposed to be different. 
And so, um, you know, that's not what God is saying. But when there's unity through diversity and you're willing to accept that, then there will be harmony. And so, you know, you might be here today and you don't like that person over there and you got something against that one on that side and just different things. Why? Because they're different. Because they're different than you. You know, they, they see things differently. They say things differently. You know, they're, they're wired differently. And so you stay away and you're like, well, they're just so different. But, but see, what I've learned is that we can't expect uniformity. We should expect creativity. We should expect diversity. And, and, and as a matter of fact, that's how God works. So when there's diversity and then there's unity, then there's harmony. Watch. Doesn't that sound nice? See, and that's a chord. So like they were in one accord. This is what I'm talking about. This is what we need to be. So even though they're different, don't run away from them. Love them and appreciate the differences. You know, sometimes my wife and I will be going to the gym or something and she says, park there. And I say, I want to park over here. And then she says, no, park there. That's a better parking spot. Have you guys ever go through this? And anyways... I'm like, yeah, I'm going to park there <laughs> because, you know, she sees things differently and I want to bless her. I want to make her happy, you know. Now, I will say this. I will say this. Sometimes the guitar or whatever can get out of tune. So, like I'll just move these, uh, these things out. Okay. So one of the things that is necessary for unity is um, that we would be in tune with God. Remember I told you earlier, Romans 12, 18, Sometimes it's not possible simply because some people are just not open to God. They're, they're unreasonable, right? And when that happens, then you can play the same chord. And see how that sounds off? See how, does that sound off to you? Or you guys don't have an ear? Like You're like, no, that's okay. All right, let me make it worse. I don't know. All right, all I'm saying is that we need to be in tune with God. And if we're in tune with God, then we'll be in tune with each other. Does that make sense? You can always tell like when relationships are not right and you're like, man, everybody's so messed up. What's wrong with everybody? Maybe it's you. <laughs> and then you can go. See? Anyways, I don't know if that you guys understood that or not, but all I'm saying is that um, I wanted to jam. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> all I'm saying is that it's okay. I love that you guys are not like me. That would be so boring. I love the way that my wife sees things so different than me. I love even the fact that sometimes she deals with things very differently than me. I need her. And so together, even though there's diversity, there's harmony because she's doing her best. And I know she is to be in tune with God. And so am I. And then we're in tune with each other. And that's what Paul is saying right here. Notice again, verse one, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love. I love that. Being of one accord, of one 
mind. And then the let's, three let's. Number one, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And I'll bet you guys would agree that there's like nothing uglier than selfish ambition. There's really nothing uglier than that. You know, back in Philippians 1.16, Paul said some of these guys are preaching out of selfish ambition. And he said, I'm glad that Christ is preached, but he wasn't glad that these guys are preaching from selfish ambition. You know, selfish ambition is the opposite of love. It's doing things for my pleasure, for my profit, for my comforts, for my convenience, and it's hideous. You know, when we're selfish, there's no concern or care for other people, and that's the exact opposite of love. You guys come into the church, and I see you, and I know you're going through things, and man, Lord, give me grace and give me wisdom to love on them and to help them, to help each other. You know, selfishness unchecked would naturally lead to selfish ambition. And so, you know, when you think of ambition, you know, a certain amount of ambition might be okay when we're ambitious to be like Christ, we're ambitious to obey Christ, when we have a strong desire to achieve or succeed in the things that Christ has called us to. That can be good, but you got to make sure that those ambitions are in line with the Lord's will for your life. You might find yourself working hard and you're a very ambitious person and you climb the, climb the top of the ladder and once you're there, you find that it was leaning against the wrong wall. The way that you'll know what to do is by being right in your personal relationship with God. Unchecked ambition is dangerous. Selfish ambition is demonic. Even William Shakespeare acknowledged this and when he gave those famous words, Cromwell, I charge thee, fling away ambition. By that sin fell the angels. How can man then, the image of his maker, hope to win by it? You know, this word selfish ambition, it was originally used to describe someone who gained political office through dishonest or unfair means but in Scripture, it came to describe someone who was just concerned with their own welfare and position, willing to achieve those goals by any means possible. And so Paul here, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Manny, why do you do what you do? Is it for yourself? Is it for a paycheck? You know, or is it for God? Is it for the people? You know, we have to, in one sense, see this uh, kind of like a team mentality. You know, you got some guys, you know, and I use bas ba uh, basketball as an example. They might want to go in there and play the game, and they want to score all the points. They, they you know, someone else scores more points than them, and they got a problem with that. No. No, we can't. What the, what's the most important thing is, what can I do to help my team win? Right? And so selfish ambition says, hey, I want the MVP. Selfish ambition says, I want the stats to go my way. And Paul here says, no, that's not the way it is uh, for Christians. One guy said ambition, in this sense, is the grand enemy of all peace. And Paul here says, let nothing be done by selfish ambition or conceit. Now, conceit is pride in myself. It's self-love, self-admiration, self-adulation, self-regard. It's ecocentric. And so um, this was, when I was going through this, I got to be honest with you guys, this is a little tough for me because 
I know some people struggle with self-identity, you know, their self-image and their worth. And so there's a fine line here. You know, you, I pray, it, it's just the Bible, the truth sets us free. God loves you. That's why you're valuable. He died for you. No matter who you are, what you're going through, what your circumstances are, you got to know that. But you also have to know that even though there might be a part of you that thinks low of yourself, I understand that, there's also a part of us that thinks highly of ourselves. And if you're here and you're like, well, no, I don't, then, you know, you don't believe that lie. Let me do an experiment with you guys. Okay, put up your first two fingers, your index finger and your middle finger. Put them together, if you would, just for a second. Okay, take those two fingers. Now put it next to your neck right here. And then let me ask you a question. Do you feel a pulse? Okay, if you do, then you struggle with pride. Because if you're alive, if you're alive, you do. We all do to a certain extent. Right here, conceit is an interesting word. It's when you think highly of yourself, you know, and it's for that reason you don't like it when people treat you wrong. It's for that reason you don't want to be humiliated when that is the very path of the cross. You know, I was thinking about how we look at these things, and I was even thinking of John Wooden, that great coach. He said, talent is God-given, so stay humble. Fame is man-given, so be careful. But conceit is self-given. It's harmful, and left unchecked, it can be fatal. And so Galatians 5.26, it says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Look what it says back here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And so in, in humility, we value others, even you know, above ourselves. Let's just say you're there. I'll ask you guys a question. Okay, you're there with your brother, and there's one burger left. <laughs> what would you guys do? Hey, bro, you can have it. Amen? How many of you guys would do that? How many of you guys wouldn't do that? No, just joking. You know, that's just the way it is. You know, you're, you're thinking of them. Same thing with the sisters. You know, the different things and scenarios we find ourselves in. Remember we had that acronym? J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and then yourself. And that's the, the flow that Paul is teaching right here. In humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. And you know, this is a lesson. I probably don't need to say this, but I'm just going to tell you guys that whenever I see people, and sometimes you see some, and they, maybe they're more of you and you might consider different or an outcast or whatever. Man, there's that temptation to maybe even look down on somebody that's homeless or something. And But when you, when you really get the, the word and the truth and the spirit you look at them and you realize how infinitely valuable they are to God and how much they're loved by God and how you would even esteem them. You should, we should esteem them more highly than yourself. It should be this way. That's the way it is with the Lord. You know, it's contrary. This whole thing is contrary to the cultural concepts that they would teach us. Oh, you need to think you're the best and LeBron James or whoever it is, 
You know, I, I wish I could talk to him. I, I don't want to judge him. I don't want to judge Kobe or anything like that. These guys were great. But I think Shaq had to ask, you know, he told Kobe, he said, hey, there's no I in team, right? And I don't want to tell you what Kobe said in response, but man, I don't know. He worked hard. He worked hard. You know, we commend him for that. There is something for us that we should be inspired by that. But no, when I go in the game, it's not about me. It's about him and it's about our team. My family, this flock that God wants to win. And so, you know, we learn these things. The, the world will say, well, you've got to think you're the best in order to, to be the best. No, that's not what the Bible says. I, I think honestly of myself, and all I say is that God is the best. And so he's telling him, next in verse 4, let, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so simple things... We, we come to church service, you know, you see people, you know, family, friends, and you just, man, you just love on them. You esteem them. Lord, what can I do to make things right, you know, between me and this individual that the enemy has come in and he's divided us? And Lord, I pray that you would give us that grace to work things out, you know? You know David Guzik said, Paul doesn't tell us that it's wrong to look out for our own interests, but that we should not only look out for our own interests, but we need to look out for the interests of others. Let's just be more others-oriented. Now, coming to church, you see someone by themselves, go up to them, talk to them. How can I pray for you? Encourage them. Pastor Chuck Smith, he said, when I was in junior high school, I joined the High Y Club. Now, the High Y Clubs were social clubs in the United States for middle school and high school boys and girls that were affiliated with the Young Men's Christian Association, or YMCA, back in the day. And so in joining the High Y Club, one of the requirements was to memorize a poem. And this is the poem. I want to read it to you. It's called Others. It says, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetting way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the things I do to ever be sincerely true and know that all I do for you must be done for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my model be. Help me to live for others that I may live for thee. And, and that's, basically what Paul is saying here. And then the next section, and we're not going to get there today, but you can read it if you want to. The next section is all about how Jesus did that and he, how he left heaven's throne and he came down, became a man, and died on a cross for others. Sometimes, I'll be honest, that's the root of our depression. That's the root of our anxiety. That's the root of our struggles because we're not really living for others. And so we see here in this section the call to unity through humility. Next time we'll see the example of humility in Christ and then the reward of humility in verses 9 through 11. But I want to close with a, with a verse and then one ask, uh, last request I have. Look at verse 10 of Philippians chapter 2. 
I'll just read it here, what Jesus humbled himself. And um, it says in verse 9, we'll read verse 9, Therefore God also has had exalted him, given him the name of, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on the earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so here's the thing. You know, one day every knee will bow before the Lord and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So those of you who are Christians, you've already done that, huh? You've already done that, right? Those who are not Christians, they will do it later, but it will be too late. It will be too late. And so let me just close with that understanding that if you're here and maybe uh, you're not a Christian, you don't really know what would happen to you if you, know, you were to die, and I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you. Oh, man, he's trying to scare me because he says I might die. Well, dude, you might. None of us have tomorrow guaranteed it is my responsibility to do everything I can to make sure, Lord, that the people you put in front of me, that I made it clear that they have to make a choice, heaven or hell, because it will be forever. So the question is, have you knelt before Christ? Have you crowned him as the king and the Lord of your life? You know, another thing I got to say, because, you know, as a pastor, you're dealing with so many things, and, man, you talk to people, and it just breaks your heart. If you're here, and you might come every single week, you might come multiple times a week, but you're living in sin. Today's an opportunity for you to get right with God. I mean, we're talking sexual sin. We're talking pornography. We're talking about drugs and alcohol. We're talking about, you know, so many, any sin is sin. You know, guys, you can't, we can't keep coming to church and living like that. So as we close today, there's two things I want to say. Number one is take the next step whatever that step is, to bring reconciliation between you and the one that the enemy has divided. Try again. Do whatever you can. If you can't, because sometimes they're unreasonable, God knows. Your hands are clean. But take the next step, and you might be here, and you might be one of those to help others take the next step. Okay, That's the one thing. And then the second thing I want to do is, is something different. We don't normally do this at Calvary Chapel Almani, but I want to I want to ask you guys, if you can, let's get on our knees. Let's get on our knees. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And this is what I say. When I get on my knees, I say, Jesus, you're my king. You're my Lord. You're my savior. I'm not going to live in sin, Lord. And I crown you as the Lord of my life. Listen, if you don't want to do that, don't get on your knees. But if you do, Let's do this. Let's humble ourselves together as a church. Let's get on our knees. Maybe this is what it's going to take for you to be saved. Right here, right now, simple. Jesus died on the cross, all our sins, put him in a grave, he rose again. All you have to do is believe. Listen, Jesus said either you're for me 
or against me. There is no middle ground. So if you're interested in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, if that's what you want, and if you can, let's get on our knees.